0: I remember one morning uh, I was struggling with something or other, and Norman pressed the button and said, "Don't even try for it. Don't even try for it." The audience by this time knows your voice. Don't try to make them different from the other 85 heavies we've already done. <laughs> so, uh, that was, all, you know. I and used we, to play would... uh, either, you know, Mexican señoritas, or a couple of times Harry Bartel and I did Indian. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, remember? Or oh, you don't yeah. remember. No, no, I'm laughing at Harry Botkow. Oh, all right. <laughs> we probably went on the air with less formal rehearsal than most shows. It was all very casual. You'd come in at whatever the hour was, 9.30 or 10 in the morning, but you didn't settle down to work until about 11.15 or 11.30. Almost without exception, everybody had become so confident with that entire milieu with a genre that, you know, we, there was very little that we paused for.
1: Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 135. My name is James Scully. Tonight on Breaking Walls, it's February of 1958, and CBS has just launched a new western, Luke Slaughter of Tombstone. It's a forgotten 16-episode gem, Five years earlier, it might have been a hit. If this is your first time listening to Breaking Walls, welcome to the show. You can find this series on every podcasting platform and at thewallbreakers.com. Tonight's opening song is Jerry Goldsmith's Luke Slaughter Closing, originally recorded in January of 1958. Join the Breaking Walls Facebook group to keep in touch with news, snippets, photos, and other additions to the podcast at facebook.com groups slash TheWallBreakers. And Burning Gotham's first eight chapters are now out. Subscribe anywhere you'd get a podcast and at burninggotham.com. You can also support these shows for as little as $1 per month at patreon.com slash TheWallBreakers.
2: Hey, boys. Come here have a look-see. Hey, what you carrying there, son? Oh, yeah. Buffalo guns. <laughs> <laughs> hey, boy. Don't you know packing them great big old heavy things would like to make you a bow-legged for
1: your time? <laughs> Crowley? You just shot up my paw back. I aim to kill you for it.
0: When Gunsmoke went on the air in uh, April of '52, it was really the only one of its kind. In the years that followed, I think there were a good many imitators, uh, some very successful, and some just poor imitations.
2: Kill <laughs> <laughs> me! You kidding that there Mealy Mouth Taylor down the street? Oh, I might have known. Billy Martin
0: Elson.
1: Mr. Crowley, I'm going to put my gun back now. Next time I unshuck it, you better draw your own self, because I ain't going to be doing no fancy trick shooting a glass out of your hand. I'm going to kill you.
2: <laughs> Boy, you sure are fast. That's
1: In February of 1958, CBS's Gunsmoke, considered by many to be the greatest western of all time, was in its sixth radio season. The TV version was the medium's most-watched show, with a rating of 39.6. Although the 1950s proved to be a great time for radio westerns, in 1958, Gunsmoke was the only one of note on the air. Gunsmoke's cast and crew had little overlap with its TV counterpart. CBS was contractually obligated to provide their radio affiliates with a promised slate of shows, and because advertisers were now investing most of their dollars into TV, CBS officials left radio to the radio people. Producers and directors like Elliot Lewis, Jack Johnstone, Norman McDonnell, and William N. Robeson enjoyed less second-guessing and more creative freedom. Writer E. Jack Newman remembered that time.
2: Television was obviously going to move in and move in big and supplant radio drama as we knew it. But in that year and that time, radio really grew up and put on long pants. It became very adult and very sophisticated and very satisfying.
1: However, these men and women also faced shrinking budgets.
3: The great period of radio was from a time when I, very fortuitously and didn't know this at the time, I obviously happened to fall into New York from that to the war. From 1937, 38 really, through the war. It was mm-hmm. only seven years. Mm-hmm. The golden age of radio.
1: This is William N. Robeson.
3: I am not one who suffers fools gladly nor accepts much brown-nosing. I want talent. I want ability. And I will go to lengths to find it, and I will also go to lengths to put up with it, as sometimes as
1: necessary. By 1958, he had more than 20 years of experience writing, producing, and directing radio shows.
2: Well, Escape was an anthology show, and the truly brilliant thinking of show business at the time, since suspense was such a success why not another show of the same kind so escape was pretty darn close to suspense and very often we use the same material the assistant director who was Norman mcdonald for most of the escape series when i was doing it and who subsequently succeeded me as director on it for a while the assistant director's function was to time the rehearsals to time the show And while on the air, advised the director how he was running fast or slow, etc. And generally to take care of the mechanical end of the production, I used the finest actors in Hollywood.
1: He was also no stranger to Westerns, having been in charge of Hawk Larrabee a decade before.
2: Larrabee was uh, an assignment for me. I did not dream it up. Probably it was Ernie Martin's idea, Ernie Martin was the program director at that time he went on to become a very successful theatrical producer with such things as charlie in maine? and maine i don't know what his thinking was but it was decided in the upper reaches of management to try a western and see what would happen see if it had any commercial bites so they put it on saturday afternoon i doubt if it went 13 weeks the original title was hawk durango well, then they discovered that Columbia Pictures down the street had released a movie called The Durango Kid, so they figured they better change that. It was a series of stories centered around the main character whose name was Hawk Larrabee, a cowhand on a ranch uh, in uh, Texas, played by Barton Yarborough, who had a wonderful and authentic Texas accent.
1: Robeson had also been in control of Suspense since 1956.
3: Suspense was a very, very important show. I must say that I was not the director of Suspense in its heyday. Bill Spear was. And Bill Spear did not create Suspense, but made it the great show that it was. I came along at a time when radio was paring down all of the adjuncts to great production in terms of money for stars, money for cast, money for orchestra, et cetera, et cetera.
1: In 1957, CBS Radio saw a rise in revenue for the first time since 1950. At the company convention that November, upper management predicted that radio was becoming fashionable again. In early 1958, the network ordered two new Western programs to air on Sunday afternoons, replacing an hour of concert broadcasts. The goal was to interest national advertisers. In the meantime, unsold commercial spots would be filled with PSAs. The first show was created by Anthony Ellison called Frontier Gentlemen. It came to the air on february second, nineteen fifty eight. Once again I met a lady named Belle
2: and learned about a gentleman named Archie McLaughlin. This taking place in Deadwood, Dakota Territory.
0: Frontier Gentlemen.
1: Breaking Walls covered Frontier Gentlemen in episode 101. The second show's assignment fell to Robeson. It would be called Luke Slaughter of Tombstone.